podcast uh, we have with us here ed ed vincent and um, we always like to allow our guests ed, to kind of in their own words to introduce themselves what you're up to nowadays and we'll kind of go with the with the stream of discussion here sure sure so name is ed vincent been an entrepreneur for over uh, 25 years have had multiple companies along the way, uh, currently uh, working on uh, Festival Pass, which is a, a subscription marketplace in the live event space. Um, and I suspect that you'll be digging in not only to my uh, current business, but all the, uh, the other ones along the way that we successfully built and exited. That's awesome. And uh, so it's a, basically this, uh, what, what would you call it? Live, sorry, what was that again? Event yeah, so it's called Festival Pass, and it Festival is a Pass. yes, it's a it's a subscription live events marketplace. So what it means is that our members they sign up and they pay a monthly fee, and they get credits, and with those credits they can redeem them for about eighty thousand live events. So everything from uh, the best concert that you want to go to to uh, any kind of festival to any sporting event, any football, baseball, basketball game you can imagine, Broadway theater, all of the above. So when did you start working on this startup? Sure. Uh, a couple of years back, um, we, uh, we just began to launch it right before the pandemic. And then the silver lining is uh, while all the live events shut down, we had time, time to build some technology and to build um, we always, a new live events would come back. So we just kept pushing through. It's a $200 billion industry uh, that, that hasn't really been innovated on in a very long time. So we, uh, we knew um, that we were just going to push through to the other side. A lot of people pivoted to live streamed events. Um, and it's not that we won't participate in that a little bit in the future, but uh, we're very core to how special it is to physically be at a live event. Yeah, I was asking because, you know, during when all this pandemic and COVID stuff happened, you know, a lot of people were were confused and, and worried and stressed out. And then knowing that you were working on a startup about live events, right? Like what kind of toll it took on your mindset, but it, you definitely had a, like, what did you go through? What were you thinking and how did you keep on track to continue with this? Yeah, a lot of it comes, the context um, of the business is something that, you know, kind of been working on for 20 years because all my other businesses all touched upon what we're doing today a little bit. Um, and uh, I can give you some background and then kind of answer your core question. But, um, you know, I started, I was an investment banker until 1999 in New York and left to start my first e-commerce business um, then. So we, I had an e-commerce business, which then we sold in 2001. So I understood the power of selling online on the internet, uh, moved into an agency. I had about a 70 person experiential agency throughout the 2000s. And what that meant is we brought a lot of big brands into big, large events. So, um, you know, dozens of 
staple brands you might know, whether they were uh, alcohol brands or consumer product brands, um, engaging and activating at big concerts, big festivals. Uh, we helped launch a number of film festivals. We even owned one down in the Dominican Republic. Uh, it was the Dominican Republic International Film Festival. We built a co-branded hotel with Maxim Magazine down there. So it was, it was really about, that's where I kind of fell in love with live events. <clears throat> Fast forward to, um, you know, 2000, 2010 through 2014, I built a SaaS business in the retail um, franchise and multi-unit space. But but that was where I learned about um, effectively subscription recurring revenue. Um, and then had following that a uh, data and analytics company. We sold that in 2014, the SaaS business. And then had a data and analytics company uh, in the entertainment world uh, called Predict Analytics. And, you know, we really helped some of the biggest television brands in the world, A&E Networks, AMC Networks, Core Entertainment out of Canada, movietickets.com, screen, all these companies, we, we help them understand their consumer data strategy and execution. And that all led to, um, you know, I was brought into a company called MoviePass. People might uh, have heard of uh, infamous uh, name in the movie subscription business. Um, but I spent about 18 months as the interim chief data officer, um, not necessarily a full-time employee, just they were hired my company to come in and help them understand data. But it gave perspective to um, how, what to do and what not to do in building a subscription-driven marketplace in entertainment. So that led into what what we're doing today in Festival Pass. All of those pieces along the way, um, I knew, you know, back in 2019, uh, 2018, 2019, that I wanted to build this business. Um, and, you know, I, I knew it's a $200 billion global business. I knew it had a huge upside and huge opportunity so that when we started uh, to roll it out and then the pandemic came, of course, it was like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe we'll start picking up traction next month. Oh, don't worry. Everybody's going to be back in two or three months. And then, you know, ultimately, luckily, we had some great, you know, early uh, supporters, uh, investors that kind of uh, helped carry us through that time, but stayed uh, strong on vision, right? So, we knew, we knew at some point live events would be back. Um, we, we knew that uh, it would give us an opportunity to kind of get the technology ready, uh, as well as build partnerships that can help us build inventory, et cetera. And then that's kind of where we are today. Now, in the last few months, um, you know, events have been coming back. Uh, events planned for 2022 or double than were planned for 2019. I know we're all going through a little bit of a blip today in terms of Omicron, but I think we'll get past that as well. And, um, and now, you know, even on our platform, we have over 80,000 events on the platform. So getting all those partnerships and technology in place to handle that so that now in 2022, we can really kind of let the consumers of the world really know what we have and why it's different and why it's special. Yeah, because this industry, the live event industry, you know, there's there's a lot of media attention on it as well. And they're talking about it being, you know, one of the largest industries in the next two or three years because of everything that happened. Right. So you, you guys must be excited. <laughs> yeah. So there's a silver lining to everything. Right. So it's it, it was two years of, uh, you know, kind of just staying under the radar and just working but at the same time now we're ready to take on what's going to be one of the most explosive industries out there 
And how many members do you guys have? Uh, on the platform, we have a little over 60,000 members on the platform now um, and, uh, and growing rapidly uh, you know, every day. And uh, we're going to continue a big marketing push going forward. We, we expect to have close to a million paid and unpaid. There's two types of members um, by the end of, you know, by the end of 2022, we're expecting close to a million. In a journey of a, of a customer or a client on that platform, can you kind of run down like what what it is exactly what are they what are they signing up for and what are they getting and if there's competition out there on this yeah so very much so so in, in the world of ticketing right so we're we're an entertainment driven live events community that has ticketing at its core right so we're not a primary ticketing company and there's hundreds of them out there you probably know of some like ticketmaster and others um, they're all primary ticketing companies and then there's also secondary ticketing marketplaces some people have heard of stubhub and a few others like that um, so in that world primary and t- secondary ticketing marketplaces often work together in terms of finding an audience for tickets. Um, So we're neither of the two, but we're a subscription marketplace that gains access to a similar set of tickets, right? So whenever somebody wants to go to something, they will tend to search out, where do I get that ticket? And sometimes they'll buy that ticket directly from a primary ticketing source, like a Ticketmaster, or sometimes they'll go to a secondary ticketing source like a StubHub uh, and end up acquiring that ticket. But there's a lot of things that happen along the way, and some of the larger marketplaces um, end up charging significant fees, um, which a lot of people are a little frustrated by in terms of transparency. It's like, hey, I just bought a ticket for $100, and by the time I check out of my shopping cart, it's $165. And there's a very a big frust- frustration in, in the kind of, especially millennial and Gen Z community about, well, why am I paying all these extra fees? What does that mean to me? Um, so that, that's one pain point that's been there. The second pain point is really this sense of community, right? Um, most of these ticketing services, um, they, they serve a purpose, but they're very transactional and there's really no brand loyalty to it. It's really, I just want the ticket to what I want to go to. Um, but for us, we want to change a lot of that, right? So we're building a community, a social frictionless community where people can come and be a member. And by being a member, they're committing to us to paying a subscription fee and they get credits for that, for that money, right? So if they're paying $20 a month, $50 a month or upwards of $99 a month, they get a certain amount of credits for it. And they can use those credits to go to any of the events. But what happens is because, um, because we're, we're not charging ticketing fees, it's, it's no fees. So the idea is that they're always going to pay less on our platform um, because it, it's, a, it's kind of a classic uh, model, whereas th- there's margins that happen within the industry. And we're willing to give some of that margin back to the customer because they're committing to be part of a, a, a subscription or a membership. So our, our members that are paying $99 a month, they're going to save up to 30% on every single ticket they, they go to because they're not going to be paying ticketing fees for doing so. So not on top of that, that's just the base. And I'll explain a good analogy for that. But uh, on top of that, it's now, okay, now I'm part of this community. I'm a member. What else do I get? Um, so, you know, we also have 600,000 hotels on our platform where you can get hotel room nights that are cheaper than anywhere else. Um, and then um, we're building this whole artist platform. So you can engage with your favorite uh, music artist or your favorite comedian or your favorite whoever um, and have a special relationship uh, within the platform. 
And that ultimately will also roll into NFTs in the crypto space, which I'm sure you've probably heard a lot of people talk about in coming in 2022. But the point really is, I use this analogy a lot when I'm trying to explain it to people is, and I'll even ask you personally, is um, I, I suspect you are an Amazon Prime member. My wife is. So I, I just I just send her what I need and she orders it for me. <laughs> Which makes sense. And the question I always ask people is why, right? There's always a core reason. And 80% of the people, it's almost like family feud. It's like a survey says 80% of the people answer the same way. So if, if you were to guess, what do you think most people join Amazon Prime for? Purchases. Well, no shipping fees, right? Oh, yeah, so, no shipping fees. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so that's the biggest um, thing that people do. They're like, well, I'll pay my $130 a year to access Amazon Prime because I'm never going to pay for shipping. That, and that's, fast delivery. Yes. Yeah, so the first thing is this big thing about shipping fees, fast delivery. And then on top of it, you get all these other little perks. If you go to Whole Foods, you get discounts. If you want to watch movies, you get free movies. You want, so the idea is there's one thing that's a big pain point, and then everything else are all these extra perks. So once you sign up, you're always getting value and you're not going to want to leave. And one of the reasons that it helps is because from a business perspective is once you're signed up and you're at Amazon and you're already paying that and you're already getting free shipping, the next time you think you need something, you need uh, a hat or you need uh, you know, some uh, Gatorade, what are you going to do? You're going to go to Amazon first and assume if they have it, great, you buy it. If they don't, you might search elsewhere. Um, so think of that same analogy about what we're doing in the entertainment space. So we look at it and say, hey, if you sign up as a subscriber to us, you're never going to pay a ticketing fee. You're never going to pay that extra fee that you get charged uh, that could, in some places, uh, some services charge up to 65% more in a ticketing fee at the end of the day. And that's, um, that's a very difficult pill to swallow. So for us, once you sign up and pay your subscription to Festival Pass, whether it's annual or, or monthly, you already win because you'll never pay a ticketing fee on anything you ever want to go to. You have these credits, which are in your bank, and you can use them on any of the 80,000 events. And you're always going to save money. And you get all this other access and you save money on hotels and you get to talk to and hang out with your favorite artists and you get early access to NFTs. And in the future, you might have special access at an event you go to that has a special section or you get a meet and greet or whatever those perks are. There's we're continuously building all those extra perks, but just like Amazon prime, it's very similar, right? And we hope that people will uh, join us and any event they ever want to go to, at least look at Festival Pass first, because we're likely to have 80, 80% of them, uh, just like Amazon would have 80% of all your, your uh, goods you want to purchase. So is there, is, there, is there anything special for super entrepreneurs, family members, the audience on this membership? <laughs> there, there may be. So uh, yeah. we can, we can, we, just, uh, sorry, sorry to, put, to put you on the spot, but no, we, we can, we can talk after, afterwards and give you a code yeah. that people can uh, get a Perfect. discount. Thank you. That's awesome. Always trying to, you know, look out for everyone, but that's an incredible concept. And you mentioned that point system, right? Is this some kind of relationship you had to create or develop with the live event organizers to be able to give you that discount? So it works in many ways, right? So there, there's, um, there's a world of primary. Uh, when I say primary, it means um, 
the either the original ticketers or the venues themselves or the producers or the people that are putting it on. And then there's the secondary market, right? So the secondary market means the, the people that put the event on have already sold it to somebody or some group. And then that somebody or some group is reselling it, um, you know, to somebody else. So in that secondary market, there's a, there's a lot of fees. And that's what I was referring to the 65% fees and all that. So on the secondary side, we're saving them a lot of those transaction fees on the primary side. We are working directly with a lot of um, individual producers, uh, venues, um, festivals themselves in order to have them provide our members uh, some level of a discount so that we can pass that along to our members. So, um, you know, and, and as we get bigger and over time, it's going to get more and more uh, beneficial to our members because we'll have a little more purchasing power and we'll be able to even, you know, pre-buy thousands of tickets for very popular events at a discount to, for our, um, for our members. Um, because it, it like, it's always interesting. A lot of people forget um, in the ecosystem of any business, um, it's just like the financial world. There, there's certainty and there's risk. And whenever you take risk off the table, people are willing to take less money for reduced risk. So what I mean by that, and I assume uh, it's a business podcast. So I assume a lot of people here kind of get that whole perspective, but like even in the finance world, if somebody was uh, an investment bank was going to help a company raise a hundred million dollars and they commit to doing it, often they'll take on that hundred million dollars and then they'll syndicate out a large portion of that to other banks, institutions, or whatever it is, because they're going to, they're going to take risk off the table. So when you think of a big event, let's say there's an annual festival, even though we, we're not just festivals, we're all events, but let's say, or you might be a tour, a concert tour, an artist or a comedy tour. Um, when somebody's starting that tour, they don't know if it's going to sell out or not. Right. So they, they, there's risk involved to putting in a live event on because they may sell out or they may not. Um, so if early on in the process, somebody comes in and says, Hey, I'm willing to, you know, buy 5,000 of those tickets for an event happening six months from now, but I want a 20 or 30% discount. It's likely they may take that because it's reducing their risk of the future of selling out. So it's, it's all a data driven concept. And for us, we just really want to give our members the best, um, the best price and the best experience, the best frictionless community to get together. Yeah. That's excellent. And yes, you know, the podcast, the audience is a mix, right? Like people that are, you know, nine to five um, looking, they're kind of like looking out the window, seeing what's up with this entrepreneurship stuff. And, and maybe they might jump, take the leap. And then we have, you know, seasoned entrepreneurs, you know, we have investors. Um, so my next question would be, if anybody wants to come in to this startup, um, are you, is there open to, to investment at this point or is it all closed? Yeah. So it's, a, it's an interesting question. And I've even uh, written some uh, articles about, you know, how, uh, how to finance the company and where, we're, it's an interesting thing. So at the end of the day, we, we want to build the company and we want to build it fast. So obviously you need capital to do so. Um, we're lucky enough to have had some really brilliant entrepreneurs already uh, invest. And, and, and that's more at the angel level, 100, 250 grand a piece. Uh, that's people like the co-founder of HomeAway, VRBO invested. Um, I have a professional hockey player that's invested. 
10 other entrepreneurs that have all exited hundred million dollar companies have invested. So there's a lot of, there's a great community, the CEO of Alamo draft house and it goes on and on. But um, so the answer is, is we have a lot of these great people that supported us early on. And we have a lot of venture capitalists that are super interested in what we're doing. And I've tried to hold off on the VC side for a while, just for the, just in order to maintain control and direction of where we're going to take the company. Um, but one, if the right venture capitalists, and we're talking to dozens of them right now, uh, if we find the right partner, we, we may be willing to take institutional capital. But on the inve individual investor side, is up until the point we choose to do that institutional round, we, we are willing to take, um, you know, fifty to two hundred fifty thousand dollars investments up to a certain level from from individual investors, and, uh, and there's there's also I, I can go on and on. There's so much that's interesting about this. There's a ton of low cost debt options out there that didn't exist five years ago today that are really fascinating, especially for SaaS based re recurring revenue businesses. So you know we will explore that down the road in order not to not dilute our early investors. And then the last thing is uh, we did test uh, early on, even before we started having events on the platform, uh, a little bit of a crowdfund campaign. And it was kind of fun to do because, you know, for me, it's all about democratization of letting people who uh, are members actually get to invest in the company too. So we did a campaign over the summer, um, you know, raised a couple hundred grand from that, but it was really more of a test just to see, hey, if I'm gonna come and be a member, and I can throw a few hundred dollars in and invest in the company too. That sounds pretty fun. And I think personally, personally, I think in the next year or two, there's going to be uh, a lot of liquidity in the non-public or call it private marketplace for, you know, small or upstart and small to mid-sized companies. So it's kind of, we're testing the waters to, you know, as we have a million subscribers and, you know, call it hundreds of thousands of them as paid subscribers. Uh, I think there's an opportunity for many of them also to be owners, even if it's only, you know, hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars each. Oh, that's excellent. Well, I do hear the passion in your voice. Like, you know, you've been doing this, this startup game for, for a while now, obviously. And, you know, it's, it's incredible journey and to be able to exit successfully, you know, I commend you for that, you know, and that's, that's a, yeah, that's great. Amazing. Was it my, my next question is like, were you always, did you always have this kind of spirit in you growing up for business? Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. There was a, you know, ever, ever since I was, uh, you know, pumping gas when I was a 13 year old that when I wasn't allowed to be to, um, you know, to in, in my college dorm room, I, I was a real estate appraiser. I actually had my own business valuing homes out of my college dorm room. But, um, but fast forward is I ended up going the traditional banking route and it was only for a period of four, three, four years. And it was because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. Um, you know, I went to a state school in New Jersey and I was a finance major and I was like, Oh, you know, across the river up there in New York, that's where all the investment bankers live. That's, that's the Holy grail. That's what I'm supposed to do until I got there and was an investment banker. And I was like, well, this is great, but we're helping uh, we're basically a service provider and helping finance companies where the fun part is operating the company. So I was like, I want to be over there operating the company. And that kind of started me to launch my first business in 1999 and kind of go from there. But yes, I've always had an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial bent and I haven't actually had a job since 1999. Amazing. 
That's, I love that. Um, and what about mindset? Like how did you ever have to deal with, um, you know, those, the voice inside, right? Did you ever have to deal with that stuff or were you, you were always like, go, go, go. It never affected you. How was your mindset throughout this? Yeah. I mean, it's some people who are entrepreneurs will say it's a disease, uh, one you can't shake. Um, so, you know, it's, there's always ups and downs and there's been plenty along the way for me as well. I mean, my first business, you know, after we, we sold it, yeah, I was still working at the business and nine 11 happened. And so there was a big, you know, decrease in the value of what I thought I was worth in terms of money um, because it kind of blew everything up um, literally and figuratively. Um, but then, uh, you know, going forward, there was in 2008 was uh, the great recession when I had my agency and, you know, we went from huge clients, you know, paying us millions of dollars a year in, in marketing spend to, uh, to, people all of a sudden cutting their budgets. So they had to, you know, work through that. Uh, anyway, it just, there, there's these events in life where you can't, you can't predict. And then all of a sudden you realize that, oh, okay, well we have to, uh, you know, pivot, hold tight and wait to the, the storm passes and then get back at it. Mm -hmm. But was there anything internally that you had to work on or anything, or is it just, you just went with the flow and said, Oh, it is what it is. You know, let's just see what tomorrow brings. Or did you actually have to work on those uh, situations? Yes, of, of course. Um, I think it's, it's just like, uh, because I've weathered storms, now it's easier to weather other mm. ones because yeah. you kind of have this feeling that if something's difficult, you know, eventually keep, keep at it. Eventually a door, a crack of a door will open. Eventually something will happen. Eventually, you know, it's that old adage is you don't fail until you quit. Um, and then, you know, the idea that it's easier now to, to push forward, knowing that there's, there's always opportunity. Um, but yes, I've, I've been through that, that place. And, and now, you know, the pan pandemic is a perfect example. You know, I was, I had no idea that launching a live events business in the beginning of a pandemic was gonna, was gonna, gonna make sense. But um, yeah, there's a, there's a, you ever hear the story of the Taoist farmer? Uh, it's, it's just a classic story of, um, you know, is something good or is something bad? Maybe, um, you know, then the story goes that, you know, I'll go, go through it quickly. It might take too long if I tell the whole story, but, <laughs> but, uh, but there's a, a farmer, a Taoist farmer. And, and basically, uh, one day his horse runs away and his neighbors come running up to him. Oh my gosh, you know, what, what bad luck you have there. Your horse ran away. And he's like, maybe. So then the next day comes and that horse is out in the wild and ends up bringing four or five other friends back. And now the, this Taoist farmer has five horses to work his farm and his neighbors are coming up. Oh, what, what great luck you have. Maybe the next day his uh, son's out riding that horse and he falls off and breaks his leg and his neighbors come running up. Oh my gosh, what bad luck you have. You know, your, your son broke his leg and maybe, you know, later the next day, they, you know, the army comes by and says, hey, we're recruiting everybody over 18 to come out to the army. Oh, but he has a broken leg. He can't come. You know, oh, what good luck you have. Your son is saved, maybe. So anyway, it's just a, it's just a whole story of life that says things will happen. And as they happen, it is what it is. And as long as you kind of kind of embrace it and go with it, uh, eventually you can find the path to, to, to make it successful. Yeah. And you know, Ed, that, that key word was embrace. And I think that's the part that, that is that key component. When we embrace it, we accept it as is, it just becomes 
tremendously easy. You know what I mean? When you're trying to fight it and you're pushing, trying to pushing through it, that's when it gets really chaotic for you. Right. I agree. And, you know, we always like to ask our guests what their inner superpower is that got them to this point. You know, you exited out of a hundred million dollar companies and all that. So just want to know what, what that, what is that inside you that, that you feel that maybe your, it's your superpower that got you to this point? I guess just uh, <clears throat> determination, just, uh, just the acceptance of and determination for, um, and don't get me wrong. I mean, the, there's a lot of uh, broken glass on the, on the way to success. So, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs along the way. So there's a, uh, the, the idea is that I think one of the things I realized, right. Is that especially in the early, early uh, internet 1.0 um, sometimes luck is what created success. Right. So it's the idea that, uh, you know, just because your buddy just sold his company for hundreds of millions of dollars and you didn't, doesn't mean he's any better than you or he did anything. Yeah. So it's like the idea that, you know, you ever, you ever, uh, uh being from New York, this analogy is easier, but when you go to see a Broadway singer, uh, and this works for any music, right? The guy on stage or the girl on stage is amazing, but there's also 300 other people just as amazing that didn't get that job. So the reality is, is it's kind of like, uh, it, it goes back to, um, a favorite poem I have uh, called If by Rudyard Kipling. Um, and, you know, just uh, without <laughs> paraphrasing it, with paraphrasing a little bit, it's just, um, you know, don't don't think you're that good if you're successful and don't think you're that bad if you're not. It's, uh, you know, if you can walk with kings and keep your common virtue um, and, you know, never lose your common touch. But just simply the idea that just because something worked out doesn't mean you were so brilliant that made it happen. And just because something didn't work out, doesn't mean you're a failure. Excellent. Excellent. And, you know, my next question is, you know, there might, there may be someone in the audience maybe wondering, have you met any celebrities? Have you worked with personally any celebrities? <laughs> a ton. I mean, met throughout, you know, throughout my life. Yes. A ton. And, um, you know, like I, I don't know which story to even tell, but it's just you know, growing Anything, up. Uh, just pick one. <laughs> no, I just hang, hanging out in New York in my twenties. You know, there was a celebrity. Every time you go out to a restaurant, there's celebrities, and um, you know. Well, I mean, from your business, like from the, yes. all the startups. Yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, and when we had our. Um, film festivals, right? We would have celebrities would come to our film festivals all the time. And uh, even in the Dominican Republic, you know, it was more the B and C list celebrities versus the A list, but we just had a lot of fun. And, you know, I just remember uh, one of my best guests down there was Anthony Anderson. If anybody knows who he is, he's a, he's a black comedian. That's just a ton of fun. And he was respectful and fun and happy. Um, but, you know, there's in the old school, people might know judge Reinhold from, uh, um, What's that movie? I forget the movie right now. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll remember it. But uh, yeah. and then we also with Maxim Magazine, you can imagine there was always a ton of celebrities around. We held Miss Maxim Miss Maxim World down in the Dominican Republic for a summer, where they sent you know their cover models from from every country in the world to come and compete in some contests down there. That was interesting and fun. And even today, we uh, we have a bunch of really great uh, young Hollywood actors that are influencers that are helping us grow. Um, if anybody knows, uh, like a kid's show, Max Thunderman, the guy that played the lead, his name is Jack Griffo. Um, 
So I know you're looking because you probably your kids know. probably watch it. <laughs> yeah, they, because that name ring a bell because they they watch all that stuff, right? So yeah, so, not so sure he's exactly a, who it is. He was a teen kid actor, and now he's 25, 26, and he's uh you know has been in a bunch of films, and you know um you know we have a partnership with him, help you know helping promote some of the stuff we do for festival pass and he, he's in a band. So, uh, you know, we're going to help promote some of his band as he goes forward and it just goes on and on. There's a, there's a lot of great relationships that happen in that way. Well, I can tell that, uh, definitely, uh, you are someone that can definitely leave an impression in a relationship realm. Um, and you know, you're, you are wise. You have that information because of that experience, right? Would you be open to, any startup idea from anybody that wanted, you know, from your experience, because of all the experience that you went through to startup to pitch their idea to you. Yeah. I mean, I was open to help any entrepreneur in any way I can. Um, obviously right now I'm focused on building, building what we do at festival pass out. Cause it's still early stage, but yes, I'm always, uh, I think the entrepreneurial community is amazing. Like, you know, even I, I live, I live in Austin, Texas right now. And I moved here about a year and a half ago and I was immediately, uh, was able to tap into the entrepreneurial community here and, um, you know, appreciate what people have done for me. And I'm always happy to do it for anybody else. That's great. Ed, thank you so much. And are there any last like final words that you would like to share with, with the audience? No, I mean, I, I think uh, I encourage everybody to, to follow their passion, right? So uh, if you have an idea, you know, make sure it's something you're passionate about, something you really enjoy, something you really want to spend your time on. Um, you know, I've always tried to work in businesses where I really enjoyed the work um, as opposed to, you know, build the business just so I could, own a business. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of different businesses and ideas out there, whether it's, uh, you know, healthcare or the crypto world or, you know, you name finance or space. It's, there's a million things to do. You should pick the one that everybody mm -hmm. loves. Beautiful. Thank you for those last words, final words, not last final words for today. And, you know, for the audience, um, this is live, obviously, right now. But once we are uh, done with the editing, it will be published and all ads, links and all the contact information, everything that he's working on will be available. But it's quite easy. You can also uh, Google Ed Vincent. And this information is, is there on the first page uh, that you can, if you need to, you know, sign up with this and, and, you know, be excited for everything starting to open up. So getting that kind of subscription is, is great. Right. Um, if you're, if you're in that, in that, um, ticket world and you want to entertainment, especially going to live events, you, you heard it from the man. So, you know, Ed, thank you again. I appreciate you. And, you know, anytime you're in Toronto, Canada, definitely send me a, a message anywhere I can help. Uh, it would be my pleasure. And um, um, thank you so much for the, taking the time to come on the show today. Sure. And I'll just say that festivalpass.com is the address if people want to go to it and you can sign up for free. You don't have to immediately be a paid subscriber. You can sign up for free and be on the site. And when you're ready to become a paid subscriber, you can do that. And then the last thing you mentioned from the investment side, um, if there ever is somebody out there that is seriously interested, um, they can always send an email to invest.festivalpass or yeah, you know, invest at festivalpass.com if they're interested in learning more. But um, you know, it's uh, eventually we'll do another crowdfunding thing so people can invest smaller amounts. Um, 
but anybody that might be interested, it's more of that kind of over 50,000 is, is all we're really looking at now. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing that. And again, I'm, I'm grateful for you to come on the show. And um, again, thank you so much for your time and have, a, have an amazing day and the rest of the week. I appreciate it. And I love the fireplace. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I love the money plant. Thank you.